2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the quarter ahead for your money, and whether tech is about to face an even bigger pullback. One big-time investor thinks so. Our investment committee debating that call and everything else going on in the markets right now. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Degas Wright, Josh Brown and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets wrapping up the month. The quarter and heavy focus on the Nasdaq is down nearly 5 percent this month. S&P is looking for its first negative month since January, its worst since September of 2020. Nasdaq's barely hanging on to a quarterly gain. Notable investor Brad Gerstner telling me yesterday at Delivering Alpha, our big event, he sees more selling coming in the NASDAQ. Let's listen. We expect the NASDAQ still has another 10 to 15 percent. It can give back to us again. That is just, you know, us returning to the historical, the pre-COVID peaks in terms of uh, uh, multiples for growth stocks. That's a healthy thing. All right. Josh Brown, that's Brad Gersner. You agree with his assessment that if you think the selling in tech is over and in the NASDAQ, you're going to be sorely mistaken.
3: Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that anybody could like definitively plant the flag uh, in the sand and say right here is, is where it's over. In fact, uh, the S&P 500 is still only 4% off its all time record highs. Uh, The RSP, which we talk about, is the equal weight S&P. We talk about it because it gives you a better sense of what the typical stock is doing, not just the the 10 largest stocks that drive the S&P. That's only 3.5% off the highs. It's actually hanging in there better. So how do you look at that and say, yeah, that's it, we're we're done with the selling? The Nasdaq's a little bit worse and more interesting to me. Um, So the Nasdaq's 5.5% off its highs which feels a little bit more meaningful, especially given how overweight so many short-term traders are in these stocks. And uh, I think the statistic is 50% of NASDAQ names are in a 20% or worse drawdown. That's a pretty big deal. That's why when people are walking around saying bubble, it's hilarious. What's in a bubble? Everything is down 20% or more, Um, but you might see the fang stocks start to succumb to the weakness all around them in the rest of the queues and in the rest of tech, maybe that will be the selling crescendo that we need to set up for a run into the end of the year. So if you told me Facebook could give up another 7 8% from here, absolutely. Why not? Of course it could. Um, but I wouldn't look at that as being non-constructive. I would look at that as, a, as an opportunity.
2: I think many people would, probably you as well, And what was a Nasdaq hanging on to positive territory has deteriorated over the last few moments or so. Now we're negative uh, on the Nasdaq. And to Josh's point about the FANG stocks um, not trading so well lately, you know, I've been reading these declines uh, for the month of September every day um, and they keep getting added to. Apple's now down 6%. Pete, Amazon's down 5. Alphabet's Mm -hmm. down 7. Facebook down 10. Microsoft is down 5.5%. We don't include Netflix in this conversation, I think, for obvious reasons, and everybody understands why um, we do that. But, Pete, um, is Gerstner going to be right?
0: Well, I would say this. I would say when you're looking at those high multiple, no multiple stocks, they still have a long ways to go, Scott, especially based upon when you look at some of these various names and we wonder when are they going to start to make money. If we get right to those big name stocks that Josh was just talking about, you were just talking about, I think that's a little bit of a different animal. I think the great part about things right now is as we've had this pullback, as people have paused and started to even hit some of those stocks, like Microsoft, and you just went through the list that were coming off of those highs that they had just hit and then pulling off uh, a reasonable amount, and they could certainly go further. But with the applied volatility jumping the way it has, Scott, and I'm not just talking about the VIX itself. The VIX was 17 on Friday, it was 18 on Monday, and now we've been in the 20s ever since in the last uh, two or three trading sessions, and we're at 23 right now. That also means that we are seeing implied volatility in a lot of these various names start to move to the upside. It's giving me a chance, for instance, in Apple and Facebook and some of these names, Microsoft, where I am selling calls, I'm buying them back, I'm selling calls again. I'll give you a great example, Facebook. I just went through this exercise with my team, and we were looking at it. Stock was 380 not too terribly long ago, at the beginning of the month. We've been able to sell enough options against the position that we've collected a little bit under $20, right? So it's off 40, we've collected 20, it doesn't feel nearly as bad. And as we see any more pullbacks, I will continue to sell at-the-money or out-of-the-money calls against these positions because this is the time where you get a little bit more juice, you get that implied volatility that was a 25, that's now a 33. Or if it's an Apple's case, it was 20, now it's 25. Believe it or not, that makes a huge difference in the amount of implied volatility that's grown there to sell and give you that much more comfort to the downside. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking at some of those names where I would consider starting adding to those names at some point if they start to crack a little bit, like Josh was just saying. And I think that... that if that's a possibility, I would not be looking for those other names, though, that have no P.E. or triple digit P.E.s. Those are of no interest for me right now, based upon what we are seeing going on in the broader part of the macro market.
2: Got the lows of the day for stocks right now. The Dow's down 372. NASDAQ is moving uh, further into negative territory, although it just went there recently. So the decline is not that large. Degas, the problem with the market comes if you have those big stocks roll over. We've said it for weeks. That you could have a correction below the surface, a rolling correction. As long as those big stocks held up, the biggest ones in the market with the biggest market caps, all of those calls for a bigger correction, the Mike Wilson style correction of 10, 20 percent couldn't happen. It wasn't going to happen unless the mega cap technology stocks started to roll over. Is this the beginning of that? You know, Scott, I don't think it's
4: the beginning of that because I'm going to go off of something what Pete was talking about around the variation of the option market. I look at something very similar on the earnings side because I look for those companies that had wide variations on their earnings forecast. What we saw back in September, September the 10th, was that those companies started to outperform. And so what we're seeing then is that if you have an opportunity to get in companies They have wide variation on their earnings expectations. There's uncertainty around those companies. And if those companies have positive profitability in the top quartile of their industry, also are undervalued, that's where you can actually start putting your money into. So this is is more like a portfolio tactic. Uh, I usually talk about long-term, but this is short-term, and you can really see some opportunities if you take that approach.
2: All right. So, Kerry, Um, The prevailing view at Delivering Alpha yesterday from the big investors that we had almost to a person was gains are going to be harder to come by in in the months ahead. Um, That's what Brad Gerstner thinks as well. And he is a he's a very sharp investor, uh, a thoughtful one at that, who has dramatically reduced his long exposure in the overall market. Let's listen to what he told me yesterday, and I'll have you react to that on the other side. Our net exposure today is 50% versus 90% last year. At the same time, we're deploying venture capital as aggressively as we ever have because we think the next 10 years is going to be a period of even more value creation than the last 10 years. The secular curve around technology and value creation is as steep as ever. All right, Kerry, what do you make of that?
5: Well, I have a lot of respect for Brad. Uh, I disagree with a couple of things that um, that he said there and what I heard yesterday um, the The concept that we expect a lot of growth particularly out of venture capital, meaning technology, but we feel uncomfortable with technology in the marketplace it is is hard to um, combine in that. It implies you can market time. You're going to sell these stocks now. You're going to know when to buy them back. Remember, venture capital has no pricing mechanism. You put in the money, and then 10 years later or however many years later, you see what happens. Um, There's a little bit of a, I close my eyes, and it's going to be worth a lot of money, but you have to watch the screen all day. It's much more uncomfortable. I think it's fine to expect that the market will correct uh, every once in a while, and it should. It hasn't had a, a major correction this year. Last year, we had an enormous correction. To say that technology is one sort of home, um, homogeneous block of stocks doesn't make any sense, because if you look at Microsoft, here, here's a chart that Vinny put together. Um, if, if you pick the biggest tech names, they both have net cash, they have enormous profitability. The sales of Alphabet are bigger than the trucking and airline industry combined, and I guarantee much, much more profitable. These aren't companies that are traditional, high beta, high. Tech valued companies with no profitability. They have tremendous profitability and higher interest rates is actually good for them in a way because of their cash hoards. So let's be clear what we're talking about. It's fine to expect that the market will correct. If you think about last year, September was the peak of tech names, and then they had a decline. They bottomed out, they had some rallies uh, two weeks ago or maybe a week ago, the tech, the large cap growth stocks had outperformed the value stocks. That may be very different uh, today by by a few percent. But I wouldn't sell these at 20 roughly times earnings. They're not they're not expensive stocks. See, In fact, um, you know, I think they're they're attractive if they were to go down another five percent. Very much so.
2: Th- th- these are two separate conversations. And I don't I don't want to conflate the 2 Um I'm not necessarily asking you whether you think that it's time to sell Apple or Amazon or Alphabet or Facebook or Microsoft, um, because I think the prevailing thought is that nobody wants to sell those big name stocks. That can be far different from whether you think they're going to go down and cause a larger correction in the market, Kerry. You may hold on for the ride, if not buy more on the the downside of whatever sort of pullback we get. Let's be clear. We're talking about two completely different things. Do you think we're going to have a bigger pullback because of a slide which may be showing itself in its early days in those big stocks?
5: I think it's possible that we could have a, a 5 to 10% correction. We're down 4.5%, maybe 5% right now. We could have another 5-plus percent, and that would be a buying opportunity if you look at what GDP growth is, should be next year.
2: All right. So Does I that also s- answer? Yeah. No, I'm, it, it, that's fine. I just want to make sure, right, we're talking about two separate things. I'm not asking you whether you're selling yeah. those stocks. I'm, I'm asking you whether you yeah, think we're going to get a bigger well, correction. So I, there's nuance, obviously, yeah. and I just wanted to make sure, sure. We, we buttoned that up. Brad Gersner also told me yesterday he no longer owns United Airlines, uh, which was interesting because he's been in that stock for a long time and a very big supporter of it. Too good to pass up was the big bounce that you got in airline stocks. Expedia, uh, Josh, was another one that he said he no longer owns. Um, I'm wondering what you make of, of those two moves. Again, this is like seeing big pops in stocks. And no matter how much you once loved these companies and probably still do, Some of these moves have been too good to pass up. And I'm going to get to another one um, after that. Too good to pass up like you have to take a profit? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's what he did. Well,
3: listen, everyone has. Yeah. So listen, everyone has different time frames. There are some people that when they buy into a stock, their intention is to add to it, keep it, dividend reinvest. And then there are some people who are measuring their performance or they're being measured by others. Uh, on 90-day timeframes. And obviously, in that situation, you would look to take quicker profits. So I don't know that what a hedge fund manager is doing is particularly relevant to other people who might be in American Airlines or or Delta or whatever you said. I think what's, what's uh, the most important thing we haven't gotten to today is just how difficult the comps have gotten. Mm-hmm. And we all knew this was going to happen. We all knew this was going to happen, right? We all, like, talked about it, like, uh uh-oh, eventually we're going to have to start going up against these reopening quarters. We're there now. And I think what's really fascinating that's happening is, like, energy is holding up. Bank stocks are holding up. They have easy comps. Hard comps are in things like Gap. Pull up GPS. A lot of people piled into this name because of the forthcoming Kanye collection. Um, Gap Stores cleared out its Instagram account and just put the six colors of hoodies that they're releasing from from that uh, Yeezy collab. And it's being remarked that these things look like they, the same thing that's for sale in Walmart. They are crushing the stock. It's down 40 percent from the highs in May. That's emblematic of a lot of what we're seeing in consumer oriented names that are just going up against Really heightened expectations and harder comps. Nordstrom looks even worse. 4four percent drawdown. We don't even talk about it. It's at the lowest level since December. And one more I wanted to highlight, uh, dicks. Uh, again, impossible comps. Think about how many people were buying sporting goods last summer. Now the stock goes up straight up for the last few months. Now it's falling hard, had a massive gap higher after earnings. it's about to close. Even Target, which is operating better than anyone in retail, uh, is at the lowest level since June, 13 percent off the high. So for me, that's really where you see these examples of companies where no matter how much you love Target or Dick Sporting goods or whatever, it's impossible for them to meet. Uh, the expectations and especially impossible for them to exceed the growth rates of last year. Okay. That, I feel
2: like, is definitely helping to put a, a headwind uh, in, in front of us here in this so, market. On that note, and I'm glad you brought up those, those three stocks, um, that, that was very well said uh, around, around your narrative. Um, maybe the biggest news that we learned yesterday uh, came from Chamath Palihapitiya in a conversation that, that we had Uh, to close Delivering Alpha, where he revealed that he no longer owns Tesla shares, even, as he said, he still remains bullish on the company. And you could make the argument uh, he may be, like, the most bullish he's ever been. Here's what he told me.
6: My thesis has changed slightly. How so? You know, last time you and I spoke about Tesla, what I said is I think it's it's a, a distributed energy company. I would slightly refine that by saying I actually completely underestimated how big EVs will be. And when you see it now, the market has flipped. I mean, when Ford, Ford... General Motors. General Motors, I mean, it is incredible. So I actually think now that Tesla will be very busy just being a best-in-class EV car company.
2: Okay, so when he revealed that he had sold all the stock, obviously we were surprised. Here's what he said about why he did that.
6: I don't have an infinite pool of capital. You know, I'm myself. I don't raise funds. I can't go to other people. Um, And so when I have these ideas, the money has to come from someplace.
2: Surprised because here's what he told us on this very program back in January.
6: I'm telling you right now, Scott, the big disruption that's coming is to power utilities. There are trillions of dollars of bonds, of capex, of value sitting inside the energy generation infrastructure of the world that is gonna go upside down. And when that goes pear-shaped, Tesla will double and triple again.
2: Now, apropos to the conversation we were having with Josh Brown about stocks that had run a lot, and Brad Gerstner selling United Airlines and Expedia. On January the 7th, when Chamath was there with me making that statement, he said, urge you, don't sell a share. The stock was at eight hundred and sixteen dollars and four cents on that day. On January 25th, three weeks later, Tesla hit nine hundred dollars a share. That's a 10 percent gain in three weeks. Maybe it was too good to pass up. He told me he was selling it within the last year. Don't know the exact date. Have asked him for more clarification on that. And I'll let you know as soon as I hear if I do. Degas, you're the one on the panel who owns Tesla stock. What do you make of all that?
4: You know scott i actually agree with a lot of his uh, comments there uh we own tesla uh mainly because it's in our benchmark but we have an underweight to tesla and we added general motors to us so that's the way that we're playing the uh, ev space exposure to tesla but also to general motors because we feel that general motors as he indicated some other companies out there also is getting into this space, and it's going to be much more competitive. So we see the value there of the EV of having both a General Motors that we're overweight and a Tesla that we slightly are underweight to the market. And that's
2: how we're playing uh, the EV space. Does it bother you? I mean, look, as I said, you're, you're the investor. You have one of the biggest public bulls on the stock, revealing that he no longer owns any of it. Kathy Wood, we know from filings and other sources, um, has had the opportunity and has sold some of her Tesla position. Now, she has bought some, too, on, on dips. Are you concerned, though, when someone like Chamath reveals he has no more Tesla stock, that he's gearing up for a pullback of some kind in the stock beyond where it is now? Well, we're continuing to
4: watch very closely Tesla. So I'm not so concerned what that what another investor is doing I have to stay true to my style and my process. And right now we have
2: Tesla as a whole in our strategy. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from our headliner today. Leon Cooperman uh, is with us today. He is the chairman and CEO of the Omega family office. Lee, welcome. It's good to have you on the program today.
7: Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk
2: about um, one of the principal reasons why we wanted to have you on in, in just a moment But given what's been happening in the market lately, Lee, and the fact that generally speaking, when you have come on more recently for sure, but I think it's pretty consistent, you've said something to the effect of, if not word for word, that the conditions for a large decline in the market are not present. And I'm wondering whether you look at the market today and think the same thing.
7: I I absolutely think the same thing. Uh, I think my message would be uh, the old line. I got some good news. I got some bad news. Uh, The market's down, so I'll give you the good news. The good news is um, it's going to take a recession, a big turn in the Fed uh, with hostile rise in rates, uh, a dollar cratering or some kind of significant geopolitical event to derail the market. Uh, And I don't think any of those things, I can't forecast a geopolitical event, so I would say that those things that uh, are forecastable don't seem to be in the cards. So I think your corrections will probably be limited to 10 percent, maybe 12 percent. And that could happen at any time. But that's but, what you know, think. Is, also, that,
2: is that your base case right now, Lee, that you think we're going to have a 10 percent or so um, correction? I, I in the market, don't, I don't,
7: I don't going engage through that game. I don't engage in that game. I don't run money competitively anymore. I run my own money. Uh, I, I pay taxes. I'm long term oriented. And uh, I have a bearish, longer-term view, uh, which uh, overrides everything I'm thinking about. So I have, I, I think I've been billed as a fully invested bear. The fully invested is because I find things I could do that make sense. I don't expect a recession. I don't expect a hostile Fed. If anything, I'm critical of the Fed. They've been too permissive. Uh, the dollar seems to be stronger than one would have thought. So I don't see the significant... The fact is that would cause a significant decline. Well, but you can have 10, 12 percent. Now, the the negative stuff impresses me more longer term because I'm long term oriented. You know, uh, number one, I don't think your committee spends enough time talking about the explosion of debt in the system. In 245 years, we went from zero national debt to 20 trillion. In The last three years, we piled on eight trillion dollars of debt. Okay, that's an issue. Okay, fiscal monetary policies have pulled the man forward. I've made this point with you before, but you know, if you had a hundred economists in a room and asked them what is the potential real growth of the U.S. economy, the response would be centered around two percent. Okay, one and a half percent from productivity, half one percent from labor force growth. We're growing a three to four times trend, yet the Fed is persisting at keeping interest rates at near zero. We know why they're doing it. Uh, I'll explain in a second. Secondly, we've already injected into the economy a trillion dollars of stimulus in excess of wages lost. It doesn't make any sense, except they're so focused on getting employment up and unemployment down. There's long-term consequences to what they're doing. Also, I would point out that the economy has required some form of life support from the government since 2008. It's not going to be that easy to get off this life support, and I think you should penalize the multiple in well, the market okay, for this life support. Some,
2: some, some would say, and, and, and hear me out on this, that as you say a hostile Fed— which regards the Fed, you know, raising interest rates. Uh, I think that's what you're, you're referring to. The, what if the perverse thing, Lee, is that the hostile Fed is actually the, the, the counterintuitive way to look at it because of all of the stimulus that we've gotten is why we find ourselves having this conversation now. It's allowed multiples to expand the way they have. And now there's going to be one giant come up. And so all of the stimulus that the Fed has done now you've got this inflation coming into the system. It may not be able to be controlled. Supply chain issues and all of it, or at least a good portion of it, is due to the Fed. Not raising rates, but being too easy for too long.
7: Yeah, well, I'm critical of the Fed, you know, to be honest with you. I think uh, I'll, I'll tip my hat to uh, uh, Mr. Powell if he's right on inflation. You know, compensation costs are about 64 percent of the corporate costs. They're not going down unless you go into a recession. OK, commodity costs could come down a little bit. They're not, actually, but they could come down a little bit. But the labor costs are not coming down. And I think inflation to be much higher than they think. And uh, I think he's behind the eight ball. But if inf- inflation is going to be if
2: inflation is going to be much higher than the Fed thinks, why don't you think the conditions are ripe for a big decline in the market caused by uh, more sticky inflation? among other issues.
7: You could. I said, you know, uh, uh, look, number one, the stock market, there's no level of the market that's too high if interest rates are going to stay where they are. Okay. You know, basically, I went back and I looked at the 1972 Nifty Fifty. I looked at the 2000 uh, tech bubble. You know, Walmart was 44 times earnings in 2000. Cisco was 380 times earnings in 2000 intel was 54 times earnings ge 45 times earnings ibm 32 times earnings the 10-year government in in 2000 was over six percent same kind of an arithmetic in 72. we have nowhere in excess valuations relative to today's interest rates the bubble is the bond market and i think that the rates are just too low and this is because of fed uh keeping short-term rates at zero And that is influencing the long bond. I think central bankers around the world are on this noble experiment of zero interest rates, which makes no sense. I could go through that in great uh, depth. But I I would just say that, you know, uh, unless the Fed turns hostile uh, uh, or the dollar starts to crater or recession becomes more visible, uh, I don't think that you have a big decline in the market. And given the absence of stabilizers in the market and the uh, presence of machines, the market could drop 10%, 15% at any time. Uh, I don't think it will go much beyond 10%, but, you know, Mr. Wilson could be right. Uh, but I, I would say the big decline I don't think is likely unless one of these things change. But don't I don't want to get turned into a bull. Uh, my list of oh, negatives... Uh, you, don't,
2: you sound anything but... Uh, A bull, even while you say you don't think that the conditions for a a big decline and, you know, maybe it's important that we characterize big, because clearly when I say that, um, I think you're taking it as suggestive of uh, something in the greater than 20 percent range or 20 or larger. And you simply think that stocks can pull back 10 to 12 percent, but you don't think it's going to be any deeper than that.
7: Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, that's a that's a good summary. I also, by the way, am very, very concerned about this relentless attack of the wealthy you know, and the potential for poor tax policy. You know, Biden isn't saying or doing smart things. You know, I find it interesting. He's discouraging U.S. energy production, yet he goes to the Saudis and asks them, pleads with them to raise production. It's the same global carbon footprint, you know, except we get the jobs overseas and we export the money. You know, uh, that's crazy. And then he talks about this eight percent tax rate on the wealthy. That's complete baloney. is what they're doing is taking unrealized capital gains, putting that into income, and saying this is what they're paying. Well, he's he's advocating a change in the entire tax structure. Well,
2: you've said you've said in the past that you're okay with paying more
7: taxes. I mean, if where, where's it am, gonna come from? I mean, the question is, uh, listen, listen, listen. Let's let's be realistic. What I've said on your program. Is uh, I'm willing to work six months a year for the government, six months myself, 50% marginal tax rate. I apologize to Warren if he if, if he doesn't feel like I can say this publicly. I called him seven years ago. I have great respect for Warren Buffett. I asked him. He was talking about the wealthy paying more in taxes, and I asked him what he had in mind. He said, "If you made a million dollars a year, uh, 35%. If you make over five million, 40%. Guess what? If you live in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California." The marginal tax rate they are proposing is like 62 percent, and it's it's counterproductive. I love Thomas Sowell, the uh, black conservative economist at the Stanford Institute. He says, in this era of social justice, what is your fair share of what someone else has worked for? we got to stop this bickering and arguing. We've got to start getting along, okay? I went back and I looked. I don't think Ronald Reagan attacked wealthy. I don't think George Bush attacked the wealthy, and I don't think that Bill Clinton attacked the wealthy. This thing started. I wrote a letter to President Obama on November 28th of 2011, and I criticized him somewhat. He's a, he's a gentleman. But I criticized him. I said, you're telling the 99 percent they're being screwed by the 1 percent. What you should be telling the 99 percent is with hard work, luck, they could become part of the 1 percent. That's I got the American dream. I mean, dream. If, if
2: you look at if you look at polls right now, the American people are in favor of. Um, I think by a wide margin of the wealthy people, or the ultra wealthy like you, people like you, um, paying more in taxes. And I, I have think no substantially more. Yeah.
7: The man in the street has no idea what the marginal tax rate is of wealthy people. You know, it, it's a natural inclination. If you do a survey, you want something for nothing. Of course, they don't think they're going to pay for it. OK, uh, I, I, I believe in the progressive income tax structure. I believe rich people should pay more. I don't care as much about it frankly, I'm going to give away all my money. I've said this on TV. I'm going to give away all my money. I just gave. uh, I I think you're going to get to it. I'm going going to get
2: to it. And you are a very generous and philanthropic person. But I think people are also fed up when they read articles like ProPublica and the great journalism that they did that reveals so many wealthy people in this in this country are doing whatever they can to avoid paying the alleged fair share of, of their taxes. It infuriates people. What is the fair not, share? Not to mention of taking, a, taking advantage of loopholes in the system to, to game the system in their favor, and people are sick and
7: tired of it. I called my accountant uh, the other day, and I asked what my marginal tax rate was. He said 35%. Okay, okay. And the only difference between that and the 376 was long-term capital gains. I pay my taxes. I believe they should get rid of loopholes. I think it's disgraceful, disgraceful, that they can't deal with this carried interest. I said this on your show nine years ago. Get rid of the carried interest. We don't. Why? I suspect because, you know, Senator Schumer is in New York and he's protecting the New York boys. we got to get rid of the loopholes. 1031, the ability to roll forward capital gains. You know, I, I, what, I about up,
2: what about stepped up basis? Because Yellen was asked about that. I think it was yesterday or the day before by Senator Shelby. I wanted to to play her answer to that and get your take on it as well, because she not, you know, obviously Yellen doesn't refer to you by name, but she refers to to, to people in your in your in your class. Can we listen to the Treasury Secretary and Lee? I'll get you to react to that. Sure.
8: I do support eliminating stepped up basis. The um, reason is that a very large share of the income of wealthy individuals is simply never taxed. Um, Individuals hold on to these assets during their lifetime. Uh, That income is never taxed. And we know that for some of the wealthiest individuals um, in the country, they pay very low taxes overall because um, most of their income takes the form of unrealized capital gains. Um, The Biden administration proposed that at death those um, gains be um, taxed and with careful consideration not in any way to harm uh, the prospects of family-owned farms or small businesses. There were substantial exemptions to protect them.
2: What do you think? Do you support the elimination of that?
8: I don't have a strong
7: uh, view of it, and frankly, it doesn't affect me. I intend to give away all my money, <laughs> so I, I don't worry about stepdad bases. Uh, do you I, think do you, do you think it should? Half, you, I know, but
2: do you think it should be eliminated? I'm, I'm sure it, f- it impacts a no, of it, yours. It, it, uh,
7: I would say I have to give it more thought. I don't want to be, uh, you know. Uh, I, I believe the first order of business is to eliminate the loopholes. Everybody should be paying taxes and the rich should be paying more. I have no issue with that whatsoever. And so let the politicians focus on eliminating loopholes, not coming up with new taxes. This idea of taxing unrealized gains, I think, makes no sense. But you're turning the entire tax system on its head. It's something that has not ever been done. But, you know, and I'm sure they'll find plenty of loopholes to get around their family farms, family businesses. It'll lead to unnatural acts. But uh, I've not s- spent enough time thinking about it. Okay, um, but, but I do believe we have to work together. And this divisiveness is very, very destructive. I think, okay? I think, and, um, you
2: know, I think everybody agrees with, with that statement. And if you look at the debate going but, on over But, uh, the, the-
7: but I, I believe they agree with the statement, but the the look this AOC and her squad—it's ridiculous. No, I don't want to get into been, that.
2: I don't want to get into that, Lee. I, I really don't. It's, it's I, all I, I don't want to get into all that.
7: Part of the problem—it's all part of the problem. They do things and say and, things and, and, that make no and, sense. And
2: those on the left would say it's the—it's those on the right that are the problem. I, I don't want to have that—that that you know what match uh, on the, on the program. I, I don't. W- what I do want to do at, at this moment is uh, expand on what I said earlier. Um, is How generous and philanthropic you are, um, because that's one of the principal reasons why you wanted to come on today to announce a one hundred million dollar donation to St. Barnabas Hospital in New Jersey. We're revealing that today uh, on this program. I I do believe it's the largest gift ever to a hospital in New Jersey. Do you want to tell me about that?
7: Yeah, I think you got it right. Uh, But I think there's something that has to precede it. So let me say. You have to have a view towards uh, philanthropy, and I figured out many years ago that there's only four things you could do with money. And I say this to your audience. There's four things you could do with money. The first thing you do is you could pleasure yourself by buy art, buy homes, buy sports teams, etc. I'm married 57 years to the same lovely woman, <sighs> excuse me, and both of us have the same view. Material possessions brings with it aggravation, and less is more. We, have, we don't deny ourselves anything we want, but we don't want anything. My wife taught learning disabled kids for 35 years, so she was a worker. I worked very hard at Goldman Sachs. I didn't have a lot of free time, uh, maybe because I had an average brain. Uh, so, you know, uh, we're, not a, we're not an accumulator of things. Second thing you can do with money, give it to your kids. If you have a lot of money, giving you mo- all your money to your kids is a mistake, because you deprive them of self-achievement. And I'm proud to say I have two kids. One graduated Stanford five Bait. Got an MBA from Wharton, made it on his own, okay, and my other one is a scientist, uh, doesn't make a lot of money, but he's got a PhD out of Oregon State, and my family signs into this idea of not giving them a lot of money. Third thing you can do with money, give it to the government, but only a fool gives the government money you don't have to give. Them. You give the government the money you're obligated to give them through taxes. No better, more knowledgeable person on taxes than Warren Buffett, okay, and uh, so he's giving away his money. He controls that decision. And the fourth thing you can do with money is recycle back into society. And you try to make the world a better place. And so uh, I look at St. Barnabas. They provide major services into our community. They serve 400,000 patients a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 I have two boys, a wife, and myself. Every one of us have had major surgeries at St. Barnabas. <laughs> We've obviously made it out alive. we got quality health care. And the two the true heroes work there. I look at a guy that I have enormous respect for, Ken Langone. I was at a doctor recently who told me he has never seen a transformation of a hospital that occurred at NYU, which occurred in line with Ken's very major gift to NYU, where Mm -hmm. they changed the name of the hospital to NYU Langone. And, uh, you know, this is what capitalism is all about. You know, you work hard, you make a lot of money, you give it back to the system. And attacking, again, I know you want to stay off it, but it's important to understand. How do you become rich? You become rich. Uh, You know, you become rich because you develop a product or service that somebody wants, and they reward you for it. Wall Street's an anomaly. You know, we don't do that much for society. But, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Bernie Marcus, Ken Langone, they've done a lot for the world, okay? And uh, they got rich because of this, and then they've given the money back. This is what made America great, and this attempt to change the system, I think is a mistake. Again, I'll quote Ken Langone, great comment. He'd like to take his private plane and load it up with people to fly him to Venezuela and Cuba and see what communism and socialism is all about. We, um, we have the best economic system in the world.
2: We, we, I want, well, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there, Lee. Um, I know the good folks at St. Barnabas, uh, to say they appreciate your generous um, gift would be a tremendous understatement. But I appreciate you coming on today. I know we'll see you again soon. You, you take care and be well. Okay.
7: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: All right. That's Lee, Lee Cooperman. We have more trades ahead on the half. And a reminder that great Delivering Alpha content is now available on demand. You can go to DeliveringAlpha.com for those details. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
9: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60 day free trial at LinkedIn.com slash halftime report. That is, LinkedIn.com slash halftime report for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash halftime report and get started.
10: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Life in prison without a chance of parole. That is the sentence handed down to Wayne Cousins, the former London police officer convicted of kidnapping, raping and murdering Sarah Everett. London's Metropolitan Police Commissioner apologizing for the crimes and saying that Cousins brought shame upon the entire department. His actions were a gross betrayal of everything policing stands for. What he did was unthinkable and appalling. Hawaii's Kilauea volcano has begun erupting. It's one of the most active volcanoes on Earth. No homes are threatened yet, but officials say that poisonous volcanic gas could become a concern. And on the news, Maine's big push to increase recycling by making companies responsible for the plastic and packaging they create. The fight over the new rules tonight at 7 Eastern. And yet again, no grand prize winner in last night's Powerball drawing. The jackpot is now up to $620 million. No one has claimed the jackpot in now four months. Next drawing is Saturday. Scott, I'll send back wow, to you. Wow,
2: wow, wow. All right, Rahel, thank you, Rahel Solomon. Well, it is one of the must-watch NFL games of the season. Tom Brady's return to New England this Sunday night. As the Bucks take on the Patriots and joining us now for a preview is NBC's Al Michaels, who's going to be announcing the game. It's good to see you as
1: always. You talk about broadcasting gold, Al. There's no question about it. But first, Scott, I have to say every time I'm on the show, the Dow is down 400 points <laughs> so I can put the kibosh on the market like no one else. The next time you have a on, just have everybody sell short at the open. There you go. We'll we'll make sure everybody the knows latest. you're coming on. <laughs> and it's tough to follow Lee Cooperman. That was, that was a, a tremendous interview. Thank you. Uh, this is fantastic. We, um, we knew this was coming because every four years, the AFC East meets the NFC South. So we knew this game was out there, uh, and it was uh, predetermined that that was going to be the matchup. We didn't know whether we would get it or Fox would get it in the late window or Monday night. We knew it wouldn't be a regional game. But this, I can't think of in 36 years of doing the NFL in prime time, I can't think of a more anticipated game, certainly a regular season game. Uh, it's going to be crazy in Foxborough on Sunday night. What
2: kind of reception do you think Brady's going to get?
1: I think on balance, extremely good. I think, you know, the funny thing is, Scott, if you're in a stadium with 70,000 people and 60,000 are cheering and 10,000 are booing, then the story becomes, oh, they booed him. But it's like you know, it'll be one sixth to one seventh of, of the crowd. I'm sure there are some people who are frustrated. Uh, who, you know, say, you, you spurned us, you shouldn't have done this. And others will say, you know, six Super Bowls in 20 years, greatest quarterback of all time. They'll understand it. I think the, uh, I think the reaction will be extremely positive.
2: Two teams going, obviously, in seemingly different directions. So who knows what, they, what the game is, is going to bring. We're so tight on time, and I know you you are as well. But I, I, I'm told you have a question for, for Josh and Pete.
1: Listen, I, I believe in the over-under, you know, so tell me, guys, it's 34000 on the Dow right now. I need to know on December 31st, give me the over-under on the Dow. Okay, okay. Josh, you go first, then Pete. Be quick.
2: I say higher.
1: I need a Absolutely, number. Come on, Josh. Uh, I, I'm... <laughs> Josh, no. I need mean, a need. Is it 35? Is it 36? You're my man. Come on.
3: Oh, you want numbers? Oh, I would, I would, high, ver, ver, I would say it's a record high. I would say it's a record high versus the record highs we've already printed this year. I think, I think we'll go out on a record this year. The consumer has too much money, and the economy is like seventy-five percent consumer-driven. I just can't imagine it otherwise. That's just my take, Pete.
2: Real quick, real quick.
0: I'm going to give you the overall. I'm going to give you a number: thirty-six thousand. Now, that's where we're going.
1: Oh, there you go. All right. I'm hitting the buy everything button right now. That's OK. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, we're
2: going to be watching, obviously, uh, Sunday night. You guys have a great call. And I can't wait to see the game.
1: Thanks, Judge. Take uh, care,
2: guys. Uh, You'll be well. That's Al Michaels. There it is. The return Sunday, 7 p.m. All get started on NBC Sunday night football. Well, the SPAC world going through a rough time lately. I spoke about it with Chamath Paliapatiya during delivering alpha. What the so-called king of SPACs told me. We'll do it next.
10: New rules proposed by the SEC this week would make hedge funds disclose how they vote on executive pay. Could be a big step towards increasing transparency for investors. The average S&P 500 CEO earned $12.3 million in 2020, up 57% from a decade ago, according to Equilar. That's your ESG Fast Facts of the Day.
2: One of the topics Shemath Palihapitiya and I discussed yesterday at Delivering Alpha was SPACs, given how prolific he's been in that space. I asked for his response to a short seller who accused him back in February of misleading investors on the Clover deal. Those shares have been crushed since their debut. He also responded to claims that just as he was called the face of the SPAC boom, he's now that of the bust.
6: Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of credit when things go up, and then I'm going to get a lot of the blame when things go down. I think we all have to take a step back and say we are one year in to a pretty meaningful revolution in the capital markets that will take years to play out and so I would love for those same people to rewrite that article in three years and five years and see what it says because that's how I try to underwrite these businesses do you regret any of the deals that you did no really proud of all four of them I think these are really great businesses were you
2: as transparent as you should have been with the Clover deal. And that really gets to the accusation that Hindenburg Research made against you. They said you misled investors about regulatory issues the company was facing.
6: I think I was completely straightforward and honest, and I think they, um, frankly, have a lot to answer for. Here's the thing about short selling. I find it curious that we don't look at that more, because in that specific example, you cherry-pick an issue that was disclosed and talked about. Um, It was in the Clover's response even that we had umpteen lawyers look at an inquiry letter from the DOJ and decided on its uh, lack of materiality. I'm not sure that any outside party was in a position to do the work that all these multiple law firms did, number one. But the number two, there's no fraud there.
2: How about this stat? Speaking of SPACs and where that business goes from here, 97 percent of more than 300 pre-merger SPAC deals are now trading below their $10 offer price. That is according to our own CNBC analysis of SPAC research data. So we shall see where it all goes from here. Pete's Unusual Activity is next. All right, my man Pete, Unusual Activity. Thanks for being patient on that.
0: Oh, absolutely, Scott. It's fantastic. I'll tell you what, I'm seeing some pretty interesting stuff here, and especially when I look at Under Armour, UAA, this is an interesting one. I know that you know the company well, I know this company well. We know a lot about the inside of what they do. I'll tell you, it's interesting. The stock is trading right where it is right now. They're going out to next week, next Friday expiring calls. They're buying 6,400 of the calls right where the stock is right now, the 20 strike calls. So looking for a a move, this is a stock that had just pulled back, and eased back, it's trading right around $20. They're buying these 20s. Also, the next one is exactly the same sort of a deal. We're looking at options that are right where it is with Carnival Cruise, trading $25. We've got next week, October 8th expiring, the 25s getting bought there as well. Some decent size, about 4,000 of those. What makes this a very interesting trade, though, They're also selling the downside put. I love when I see that, Scott, because when we see that, that's telling us this is somebody who wants to be in this stock. They think it's going to make a move. If they're wrong, they're willing to own it to the downside as well. So a very, very bullish trade we're seeing there as well. I'm in both of these. I'll be in these trades for approximately a week.
2: All right, good stuff. Appreciate that, Pete. Thank you. Final Trades coming up next.
0: Mr. the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast.
2: All right, let's give you a check on the markets here. Dow sitting with a 450-point loss, one and a third percent. NASDAQ was positive for much of the session notes, given that up by a touch. It's down a fifth of a percent. that's a loss of about 28, 29 points. By the way, make sure you check out Carrie Firestone's latest op-ed on CNBC.com, where she details a wake-up call that young professional mothers are losing ground rapidly since COVID started. You can find that at CNBC.com and Carrie, we're excited for people to check that out.:
5: Thank you very much, Scott. I've looked at a lot of studies that suggest that because of COVID or since it started, we've seen a decrease in the workforce that women have been leaving. They have incremental, huge incremental demands with childcare on fathers, too, as well as mothers. But women bear more of the responsibility and work from home is double edged when you when you're at home, you're not seen in the office. And that's part of the problem with getting promoted.
2: All right, we appreciate you writing that piece. So Hope, check uh, it out. Yeah, Thank check you. it out, cnbc.com. You can see Carrie's full piece there. You want to give me a final trade, Carrie? Well, I'll have you?
5: Yeah, sure. Netflix, Scott. You know, Netflix really took a break for almost a year when, after the pandemic, and it really hit its stride, it started to underperform when people cared about. Reopening. Well, now they've got a lot more content. The subscriber growth is increasing. The comparisons will start to get a little easier. And we think there's more upside with the stock, which has been doing well.
2: All right. And quickly, Pete, I think you just bought some Netflix calls. Am I right?
0: I did. Three days in a row, Scott, we've seen buyers in Netflix. It started when the stock was trading at 591. It's gone up and through 600 where they were buying. So they bought even again today. They bought stock or options to the upside. So I'm in those calls as well.
2: You got a name for a final trade while we're at it?
0: Yeah, I see some huge XLE buying. I'm going to give you ConocoPhillips. I just bought the October 70 calls there.
2: Crude 75, 76, up uh, better than 1% today. Degas? Best Buy. You have to have someone to put up that big screen television to play Netflix on. (laughs) All right. Best Buy uh, down about 3% today. All right, TRB, Josh Brown, what do you got?
3: Uh, Simon Property under 130. I think it's a buy here. 4.5% distribution yield. Own it in a non taxable account for a right. maximum upside. Good stuff, everybody.
2: Thank you. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.